Section 7 of the Treatises of Benvenuto Cellini on Goldsmithing and Sculpture by Benvenuto Cellini, translated by C. R. Ashby. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Treatise on Goldsmithing, Chapter 6, How to Set an Emerald and a Sapphire. Now, as to the emerald and the sapphire, the same skill must be used with the foils adaptable to them as with those of the ruby, and because i consider that practice always has come before theory in every craft and that the rules of theory in which your skilful craftsman is accomplished are always grafted on to practice afterwards i will give you a case in point of what once happened to me when i was setting a ruby of about three thousand scudi in value this ruby had when it came into my hands been very well set at different times by some of the best-known jewellers of the day so i was incited to work at it with all possible care seeing that i could in no way satisfy myself with the result of my efforts i locked myself up somewhere where no one could see me not so much because i didn't wish my secret to go further but because i did not want to be caught trying so mean an experiment upon so goodly and wonderful a gem i took a little skein of silk stained with kermes and with a pair of scissors cut it carefully having previously spread a little wax in the bezel then i took the tiny bit of silk and pressed footnote calci possibly i frayed and footnote pressed it firmly onto the wax with the point of a small punch then did i put my ruby upon it and so well did it make and such virtue did it gain that all the jeweller folk who had seen it first suspected me of having tinted it a thing forbidden in jewellery except in the case of diamonds of which more anon but for this ruby some of the jewellers asked me to say what kind of a foil i'd put behind it upon which i answered that i'd put no foil behind it at this reply of mine a jeweller who was with the gentleman to whom the ruby belonged said if the ruby has no foil you can't have done anything else but tint it some way or other and that you know is forbidden to which i replied again that i had neither given it a foil nor done anything forbidden to it at this the jeweller got a little nasty and used strong language at which the gentleman who owned the ruby said benvenuto i pray you be so good provided i pay you for it to open your setting and show it to me only i promise you i'll not tell anyone your secret then said i to him that i had worked several days on the job and that i had my living to earn but that i would willingly do it if he paid me the price of the setting and moreover do it in the presence of all of them because i should be much honoured in thus being able to teach my teachers when i'd said this i opened the bezel and took out the stone in their presence they were very much obliged we parted very good friends and i got very well paid the ruby in question was a thick one and so limpid and luminous that all the foils you put beneath it gave it a sort of uncertain flash like that which shimmers from the girasol opal or the cat's eye two kinds of stones to which the dunderheads of whom i told before would also give the name of gems now a word about the emerald and the sapphire 
in both which gems one meets with the same peculiarities and difficulties as with the ruby so i know of but little to say about them than that they are stones that are often falsified which should be a warning to those who delight in gems or buy them whether to set or to keep there is a kind of indian ruby with as little colour as you can possibly imagine and i once saw a ruby of this nature falsified ever so cleverly by one of these cheats he had done it by smearing its base with dragon's blood which is a kind of composition made of a gum that will melt in the fire and that you can buy at any apothecaries in florence or rome well the cheat had smeared at the base of the stone with dragon's blood and then set it in such a way that it showed so well you would gladly have given a hundred golden scoody for it but without this colour it wouldn't have fetched ten and have been much more likely to come out of the setting but the colour looked so fine and the stone seemed so cunningly set that no one unless very careful would have spotted it it happened one day that i was with three old jewellers to whom i had expressed my doubts as to the genuineness of the stone so they made me unset the ruby and they stood round me greedily watching ready to pounce upon it as soon as i had done it they all three jeered at me for my wisdom and said another time i should open my eyes better for it was obvious that this stone was set by a good man who wouldn't do such a thing and who knew his business right well enough at these words of theirs i held out my hand and begged them to let me see and have proof of my mistake adding that if this time my good eyes had failed me it might be because i was less keen-sighted than they but i promised it shouldn't happen again when i had the ruby in my hand i soon saw with my sharp eyes what their dullness had missed and quickly taking a little steel tool i scraped off the bottom of the stone then might the ruby have been likened to the crow that tricked itself out in the feathers of the peacock i returned the stone to the jewellers and suggested to them that they would do well to provide themselves with eyes somewhat superior to those they were at present using i couldn't resist saying this because all three of them wore great big gig lamps on their noses whereupon they all three gaped at each other shrugged their shoulders and with god's blessing made off you come across similar difficulties and occurrences with emeralds and sapphires which i will omit as i have other things of more importance to tell of i mind me also of having seen rubies and emeralds made double like red and green crystals stuck together the stone being in two pieces and their usual name is doppy or doublets these false stones are made in milan set in silver and are much in vogue among the peasant folk the ingenuity of man has devised them to satisfy the wants of these poor people when they wish to make presents at weddings ceremonies and so forth to their wives who of course don't know any difference between the real and the sham stone and whom the little deceit makes very happy certain avaricious men however have taken advantage of a form of industry made partly for a useful and partly for a good end and have very cunningly turned it to great evil for instance they have taken a thin piece of indian ruby and with very cunning setting have twisted and pieced together beneath it bits of glass which they then fixed in this manner in an elaborate and beautiful setting for the ring or whatever it was and these they have subsequently sold for a good and first-class stone 
and for as much as i don't tell you anything unless i can illustrate it by some practical example i'll just mention that there was in my time a milanese jeweller who had so cleverly counterfeited an emerald in this way that he sold it for a genuine stone and got nine thousand golden scudi for it and this all happened because the purchaser who was no less a person than the king of england uh, put rather more faith in the jeweller than he ought to have done the fraud was not found out till several years later emeralds and sapphires are also manufactured out of single stones and this so cleverly that they're often difficult to tell but however wonderfully they're counterfeited in colour they are so soft that any good jeweller with the average amount of brains can easily spot them i could tell you ever so much more about all this but it must do for the present because i have to pass on to a lot of other important and useful things End of section seven.